Well, good morning, neighbors. <laughs> it is such a joy to be with you this morning at Lone Oak First Baptist Church. How many of you grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Yes, for four decades, Fred Rogers blessed children all over the globe with his Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood show. He was seeking to teach a few things. One, that each child is loved, that each child is special, and we are to love our neighbor. Mr. Rogers was all set to go to seminary when he came home from uh, graduating college and saw for the first time something that changed his life, television. His first time watching television, he saw people hitting each other in the face with pies. He saw people hitting each other with skillets, people laughing at one another. And he thought, why are we using such a powerful thing for negativity? What could we do powerfully for good? And so he said, I'm going to wait on seminary, and instead I'm going to come up with a children's show. Now back in those days, everything was live, and Mr. Rogers got some old film strips, and he would run them through a projector and have that as a, it was a free film strip that he would show for free on television. But one day, the film strip broke, and he didn't know what to do. So he ran to the back, he got a lion puppet that someone had given him, and he put the puppet on his hand, put it through the face of a clock, and said, Hello, my name is Daniel. Daniel the tiger was born, and later came Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You know, millions of children and adults have been blessed by that. Not only were they enthralled by how crayons are made, but they were also enthralled about his love and tenderness for others. Mr. Rogers eventually did go to seminary. He was ordained as a minister. Get this, he was ordained by the United Presbyterian Church as one of their very first television evangelists. <laughs> as interesting as that is. And sought to share the gospel and the love of Christ through what he did. Now, Mr. Rogers was certainly a good neighbor, but he was not the greatest neighbor. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells a story about what it means to love your neighbor. And I invite you to turn there with me if you would. Luke chapter 10. It's a story that you're uh, very familiar with. Many of you, if you've grown up in church, you're familiar with this story. And if you've not and you're new to this story, I think you're going to love the story that Jesus tells here from Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, begin with verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road when he saw him and passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, 
he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds and poured pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I pray you would speak to our hearts as we, as we think through the concept of loving our neighbor. May your story to that lawyer that day also be a story to us that we'll seek to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we'll seek to love our neighbors as ourselves. Speak through me. Help me to be your messenger to communicate your message to your people for your glory's sake. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. In response to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a story, a story many of you are familiar with, about a man who's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. This journey is quite a treacherous journey. I was there back 18 months ago and saw the craggy rocks and how there were many places for someone to hide, many little caves along the route for them to jump out and mug somebody. In fact, this is called the, the way of the blood because so many people were robbed. And in fact, it's been named the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Now, I'm not sure if it's the same valley that David had in mind when he wrote Psalm 23, but it's a treacherous valley that goes between Jerusalem and Jericho. And along the way, a man is walking, two robbers or a group of robbers jump out, beat him up, stomp on his face, punch him, lay him out for dead, strip him of his clothes, clothes are worth money, and they go on and leave the man half dead on the ground. When three people come walking by, first is a priest. The priest sees him and probably thinks, I can't get blood on me. If I get blood on me, I can't serve in the temple. And then comes a Levite who's kind of like a JV priest is coming by. And he's like, I, I'm on, I'm, maybe he's in, hurry, in a hurry. I'm not sure why. He passes by the man. But then a third person comes, a Samaritan. And we see in this story that this Samaritan does five things to love his neighbor. Five attributes of the Samaritan. And I like for us as we go through these five attributes to check our own lives, our own selves, to see if these are true of us as well. The first thing we see is this. The Samaritan had open eyes. He had open eyes. Although all three of these men physically saw the critically wounded man, only the Samaritan really saw his pain. When he looked, he didn't see the same things that the other religious people saw. Remember, Samaritans hated Jews and Jews hated Samaritans. They could not stand one another. And so when the Samaritan sees the Jewish man laying on the ground, everyone would have said, leave him alone, let him die. There's no good thing, such thing as a good Jew. There's no such thing as a good Samaritan. But the man stops. Now let's put this in, in current terms. Uh, how many of you here... Um, are University of Kentucky basketball fans. Do I have some UK fans here? All right. All right. Those of you who did not raise your hand, you can raise your hand now. That means you're apostate. And uh, no, many of us are U University of Kentucky fans. I grew up a UK fan. Let's put this in these terms. Let's imagine that after a game at Rupp Arena, one of the UK players is coming out of the locker room and he's walking down the hallway and two people jump out and mug him. I mean, beat him up, elbow him, kick him in the head, stomp on his chest, leave him from dead, strip his jersey off of him, and they run. 
Well, out of the locker room comes Coach John Calipari, and he sees his player laying there. You'd think he would stop, but he's like, I got my Armani suit on. I don't want to get blood on it. I'll let somebody else take care of it. Well, then comes out of the locker room that day who gave them a pep talk was Oscar Shibwe, one of the UK great basketball players. He's there watching the game, and as great and wonderful as he is, he sees his uh, a UK player on the, on the ground, and he decides to just walk on by. But then down the hallway comes Christian Leitner. <laughs> now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, he's probably the one that did it. He's probably the one that stomped on his chest just like he did at Menu Timberlake in the 1992 NCAA East Regional Finals when he should have got kicked out of the game, but yet he came back and hit the game-winning shot to end our season. Some of you are thinking that, right? I mean, preach it. There we go. In fact, UK fans' disdain for Christian Leitner is so intense that I saw this shirt for sale in a store in Lexington. It says this. I still hate Leitner. This is how many UK fans feel about Christian uh, Leitner. Imagine, if you would, that Christian Leitner is the one that stops. For you who are not Kentucky fans, Christian Leitner is the ultimate villain for all the UK fans. I'm sure you got that by now. Imagine it's Christian Leitner who stops and helps the man. Like that's, that's a bit of the picture we're seeing here. Much more intense. The Jewish people hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jewish people. But yet it's a Samaritan man who stops for the Jew. He has open eyes. I want you to know this. If your religion keeps you from loving people, if your religion pushes you away from hurting people, you've got the wrong religion. Because he didn't see a Jewish man, he saw a man in need. An eye of a caring person has no prejudice. I remember um, when I was pastor of a church before, this guy in our community was telling me he grew up in the 40s and 50s. He was a kid and uh, he's an African-American guy. And the pool in our town was segregated. And... The certain pool that only whites could swim in the pool and, and not blacks. And he talked about how there was a doctor in town who was so caring that opened up their in-ground pool for all the black children to come swim in. This was going on the same time that nationally, some of you may remember this story, uh, in the 60s when segregation was huge, there was a, a, a hotel owner who did not want blacks swimming in his hotel pool, and while they were swimming, he poured acid into the pool to make them get out. Well, in the weeks following that scene, Fred Rogers had on his show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Officer Clemens, a black gentleman that he invited to come into his backyard to get in the pool with him, to teach children around the world especially around the United States, that while you hear in the news that blacks and whites should not swim together, here I am with Officer Clemens, and what we're doing is we're sharing a pool. You see, open eyes means we see past prejudice to care for people. For the Jews, it was the Samaritans, and our country sometimes is people of of different color. To have open eyes means we see people for who they are and that's people. You know, the question, listen here, the question the guy asked was not, the lawyer asked, notice his question wasn't, how should I love my neighbor? Or should I love my neighbor? What was his question? 
who is my neighbor? He was saying, who are the parameters for who my neighbor is? You see, that's the reason for a lot of the barbarism of the 20th century because we have different people who've classified who their neighbor is. For, for Nazis, their neighbor was based upon their, their, their race. For Marxism, neighbor is based upon, is limited to their social class. For nationalism, neighbor is restricted to people who were uh, based on their country of birth. The problem isn't that we've chosen not to love our neighbor. The problem is we've chosen to have a defined group of who our neighbor is. So our question is, do we love people who do not look like us, act like us, think like us, vote like us, speak like us, shop like us, spin like us, live like us? Do we choose to love everybody or do we choose just to love those people that we consider to be our neighbor? It wasn't, how do I love my neighbor? Remember, his question was, who is my neighbor? The first thing we see the Samaritan have is he has open eyes. Do you operate with open eyes? That you don't consider language or color or religion or all their socioeconomic issues, but rather like the Samaritan, you have compassion because you know they need help. First, he has open eyes. Secondly, he has an open heart. Open heart. He stops on the roadside. That's a monumental thing. Think about this. He's walking down the road where this guy has just gotten mugged. He's just gotten beat up and left for dead. Who knows, but these thieves may be waiting around the next corner. They may be coming back for him, but yet he stops. He doesn't just see the man, but it says here he has an open heart. He shows an open heart, saying that his compassion comes out for this man who's been hurt. First, he has open eyes. Secondly, he has an open heart. He didn't flippantly say, well, I see the man, but I've got to keep on. Uh, I'm not going to stop because I could be in trouble. You know, we pass by people every day. We see people every day. And the question is, do we stop? Do we have this compassion for them? And sometimes the compassion we have, this open heart, is because of something we've been through. In fact, Fred Rogers told this story that when he was a kid, he was very overweight and other children in middle school and in elementary school, his nickname was Fat Freddy. That was Fred Rogers' nickname. And for years, he was known as Fat Freddy. No one wanted to be friends with him. He had a difficult time making friends. He understood loneliness. And he said later that there would have never been a Mr. Rogers if there hadn't been a Fat Freddy. That because he experienced what it was like to be Fat Freddy, where people made fun of him, where he was isolated, where he did not have friends, that prompted him to be sympathetic for kids who may be in the same situation. That were there no Fat Freddy, there would have been no Mr. Rogers. What situations have you been through that God could use to open your heart of compassion up to other people? Maybe some of you here have been through a horrible, dreadful, terrible divorce. And you remember that time is just such a painful time. And you wouldn't wish that on anybody. But God taught you something through that experience. And maybe you see a, someone in the church or someone in your community who's going through the same thing. 
And could God use your experience in the past to say, hey, let me just tell you how I got through that. And I want to walk with you through that. Maybe some of you ladies here have had the pain, the absolute horrific experience of having a miscarriage. And it was such a, it was so just troubling. You wouldn't wish it upon anybody. But could God use that experience for you to come to a young lady in your church or in your community and say, Honey, I know it hurts. I've been there. I know there's nothing no one can say. I just want to hug you and love on you because I've had that same experience. Could God use your experience as an open heart to show love and compassion toward people in an incredible way. First, we see an open eyes. Second, we see an open heart. Third, we see open hands. Open hands. The scripture said that not only did he stop, but he started bandaging the wounds. He did whatever he could with what he had. Got the, the oil out and poured over the wounds, I can imagine. Got the bandages, wrapped it around whatever cloth he had to try to stop the bleeding. When the bleeding wouldn't stop completely, he put the man on his animal, likely a donkey or, or something, and begins to take him down the trail. He gets off his animal, puts the man on his animal. The hands lift him up. And not only is he loving with his eyes and with his heart, but he's actually doing something about it. You know, it's one thing to have great intentions. You know, um, you, can, you can see something. You can watch one of those commercials, and you're like, oh, wow, my heart has compassion for that situation. But it's another thing when we do it with our hands. That's what Christians are great at. When I hear you all talk stories about building wheelchair ramps and, and caring for, for senior adults and loving on single moms and the things that this church does so well, that is using your hands to show your compassion and love for other people. It reminds me of what the early church did back in the uh, 300s. The Roman emperor at uh, that time... Julian, uh, Emperor Julian wrote this about Christians. He calls them atheists because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. Okay, So in this quote, he uses atheism to describe Christians. And here's what he says. He said, atheism, talking about the Christian faith, has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through the care, their care for the burial of the dead. It's a scandal that there's not a single Jew who's a beggar. And that the godless Galileans not only care for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. That this is the early church. And the Roman emperor notices that Christians are serving in such an amazing way that it's putting his religion to shame. Open eyes, open hands, and open heart. Fourth, we see he has an open schedule. He has an open schedule. You remember in the story, it says he's on a journey at the end. Because remember, he gets to the end and he says, hey, I'll be back later. So he's going to some further place. But yet he chooses to stop. This is a challenge, isn't it? In our fast-paced world, you drive down the road and you see someone who's got a flat tire and you wonder, should I stop? But if I stop, I'm going to be late. I remember I was like that situation with my wife one time. We're driving down the road, and there's a car that's having trouble on the side of the road, and there's all kinds of other cars around. And I'm thinking, I can't be late for this dinner we're supposed to go to. And her heart just breaks. No, we need to pull over and stop. And so what do we do? 
I'm not a dummy. We pull over and stop and help this family, not because of me, but because my wife's tender heart. He had an open schedule. I wonder sometimes how we can choose to serve others with as busy of a schedule as we have. I'm reminded of this story that I've heard about Fred Rogers that there was a girl who was having brain surgery and her parents wrote Fred Rogers and asked him if he would send her a card to cheer her up. And not, he didn't send her a card. In fact, he called her and had an hour and a half long phone conversation with her. The girl would later say as an adult that she shared things with Mr. Rogers on that phone call that she never shared with any adult. It was the most meaningful conversation she ever had with an adult because all he wanted to do was listen and care. He made time in his schedule. Can we feel the need so much that causes us to stop even when it's inconvenient? Even when it means we're going to have to just to help others. Open eyes, open heart, open hands, open schedule. And lastly, we see he has an open wallet, an open wallet. And he's, now he could have just dropped the guy off at the end. That would have been an amazing story. He picks him up off the side of the road, bandages his wounds, takes him to the end, and leaves him at the end. He's pretty much done all that he can. But not only that, he goes a step further by giving the innkeeper money. He opens up his wallet and says, this man's probably been robbed. He has been robbed. He probably has no money. He's laying almost naked on the side of the road. Here's money. The amount of money he gave him was enough to care for the man for three weeks. And he said, I'm going to return. And when I return, if he still owes the balance, I'll pay for the balance. He has an open wallet. You know, there's sometimes there are things that our money can do that we can't do. Someone is sick. You don't want, I'm not a medical doctor, I can't care for them, but I can help pay for them to get the help that they want. Someone needs a certain type of uh, financial help, and maybe I'm not an expert in that area, and so I can pay for them to get the type of help that they need. Sometimes our money can do things that we can't do on our own. That's why I love your Good Samaritan offering, because you're helping to, as a church, come together to pay for needs that people have. Now, we have this weird attitude with money in our world. Like, I remember this story of these three preachers come together and they're talking about how much they should spend on how much they should keep and how much they should give to God. And, and the first preacher says, well, what I do is I draw a circle on the ground and I throw all the money up in the air. And whatever money lands inside the circle is mine to keep and what's outside the circle is God's. And then the second preacher says, I do a similar thing. I throw it up in the air and whatever lands on the outside of the circle is God's. What's inside the circle is mine. And the third preacher says, well, why do I just throw it up in the air and I figure whatever God wants, he'll catch. And the rest of it is mine. You know, we have this big us, mine, our money thought. But the, thought, the truth of the matter is it's all God's. We're just stewards of it. And he may lay it up on our heart that we're going to use our money. We are better off than 95, 99% of the world. And we're going to use our resources to help serve someone else. Open eyes. Open heart, open hands, open schedule, open wallet. How are you doing on being a neighbor? Remember the question the man asked when he came to Jesus. The first question was not about being a neighbor. His first question was, how, do you, how are you saved? And that's an incredible question. In fact, that is the greatest question you will ever ask in your entire lifetime. 
How am I saved? And Jesus' response to him was this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first greatest commandment. So I want to, I want to make sure we're clear this morning that we are not saved because we love our neighbors. Loving our neighbors is something we do as an outflow of our salvation. That you could be a great neighbor, but if you don't know Jesus, you're still going to hell. That you could be a great neighbor, but if you don't know Jesus, you're not in the Lord's will. And so first and foremost, we need to make sure first that we are loving the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if we are then an outpouring of that is we're going to love others. That's what, remember the passage I read earlier as we opened up the service in 1 John chapter 4. Jesus says, how can you love, how can you, um, if you hate a brother, then you're hating me also. How can someone not love his brother and then say they love God? It's this contradiction. And so as Christians, we have to, you know, isn't that the message the world needs to hear? For Fred Rogers, when he turned on the TV, it was pies in the face and skillets to the head and laughing and jeering. Oh my, if he turned on the TV today. Because we live in a broken, hurting world. And what they need from Christians are open eyes of compassion, an open heart of love, an open hand of help, an open schedule of care and an open wallet of support to say, I love you because God first loved me. How are you doing being a neighbor? In the story, Jesus ends asking the man who is the neighbor, and the man can't even bring himself to saying the word Samaritan. He said, the one that had mercy. Jesus said, you're right. Now go and do likewise. And that's my challenge to us this morning. That we don't just hear, but we respond to go and do. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for your son Jesus. Lord, who first demands our love for him, and then secondly demands love for others. Lord, we know that we're only able to love you and to love others because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so, Lord, I pray in the name of Christ, Lord, that you will help empower us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. For those who are here this morning who yet to know Christ as King, Lord, I pray that they would make that decision. How am I saved? By giving my heart to Jesus. I pray they would do that. And it goes for those of us who have been saved for whether it's been a few days or a few years or many decades. You'll prompt us to love others the way you loved others. To have open eyes and open hearts, open hands. And love those in need, Father. For your glory's sake we pray.